we are very, very, very patient. We have ideas that have been planted maybe uh, even as long as 10 years ago and that at some day come to fruition and 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 that's when we'll 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 take the 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 win and, and move on to the next project and and until then we stay patient we know that people are going to do stuff sometimes they don't know it themselves yet but we know they will do it in two three four five years from now and we just need to make sure that we are around by that time to uh, to fulfill their dreams and wishes <laughs> Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. This episode is kindly sponsored by Attractions.io, the guest experience platform behind Merlin Entertainment's San Diego Zoos and the PGA Championship's branded mobile apps. And just like us, the team at Attractions.io is on a mission to elevate the guest experience and ensure that they exceed the expectations of today's digitally native guests. By combining a branded mobile app with an operator console that consolidates behavioral data from every touch point in the guest journey, the Attractions.io platform empowers operators with the tools they need to increase guest satisfaction, spending, and loyalty. And to learn more about how Attractions.io can help you connect your end-to-end -end guest experience, visit attractions.io slash how it works. Hey, Matt, how's it going? It's going fantastically, Josh. How are you? Yeah, doing great. Matt, do you remember how we met? You're taking way too long. I'm going to say uh, it had something to do with IAPA. It did. <laughs> it absolutely did, which is actually kind of funny because we were both working at Universal at that time. Were we? That might have been before I started. Regardless, we did have some overlap at Universal, but we joked that we would see each other more at IAPA than we did at Universal because you were kind of in HR, which was the back of the property. I was in guest services up front, and I think we would occasionally see each other in the parking lot every every now and then. But I no, I, I believe the first time we met, I met you and previous podcast guest, John Anderson. I remember meeting him that same day at the Career Slam at IAPA in 2007. At the, at the, I'm sorry, at the IAPA Expo 2007. <laughs> <laughs> the Career Slam. Wow. So I remember for a few years, John and I were both on the HR committee and we were uh, kind of the champions of the, the Career Slam. And funny story, I remember... I don't know if this was just a miscommunication at some point, but for like two or three years in a row, we would get to the career slam room and it wasn't set up correctly. Oh. So a lot of times, even maybe even before your session, we were rolling in tables from the back. We were setting up chairs. Um, so luckily things have, have, uh, have gotten a little bit better. Things are, are, you know, better communicated now, but uh, you know, those first couple of years was, uh, was a little crazy, but it was great <laughs> to meet you then. Uh, and look what it's turned into. Look what it's turned into. Who would have thought? I don't think I'd ever heard the word podcast in 2007. <laughs> so 
Question on, on that. When you were doing uh, the career slam, when you you and, and John were really, like you said, championing that, and I completely agree. Uh, what, what were some, well, aside from us meeting each other and now, you know, hosting a podcast that started 10 years later, uh, what was, I, I would say, like, the impact to you on being able to give back to those who were much earlier on in their career? I love it. I love anytime I can interact with people that are coming up through the industry, which is why I've loved being a, a part of ambassador training for, you know, many, many years at the expo. Um, but to me, it, it gives me the idea or it gives me a glimpse into the future of the industry because you see these young professionals coming up and, you know, I've been in the industry for many years now and I, I may have things in my head or set in my ways about certain things, but you know, when you talk to the young folks and they've got, you know, different ideas and new ideas and new ways of looking at things, it's, it's kind of refreshing, right? And it's really cool. And like when you sit back and say, wow, I never would have thought of that when I was at that age, or man, these folks are way, 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 um, a lot further along than I was at that age yeah. or, you know, whatever it is, you know, to me, it's very energizing to interact with the young professionals. So I get that every single year, but even back then, you know, a lot of it was about, you know, giving people the opportunity to see what the the um, the industry could provide or the industry could be for them. Um, a lot of people will come into the industry, I think, as, as young professionals, as I did with, I hate to say a one track mind, but I was very operations focused because that's what I knew. Right. And I wanted to be a director of operations sometime. I wanted to be a park president. Well, those things didn't happen because I eventually found different paths that were more suited to who I am and, and what I think my my strengths are. And so when you go into a, something like a career slam and you're talking to somebody that is outside of your, your career path, for example, like if you're talking, if you're in operations and you're talking to somebody who's in design or you're talking to somebody who's in marketing or you're talking to somebody who, you know, is a manufacturer, now you've got a, a, a wider breadth of what the industry has that's, that's possible for, you know, a, a career path. And then you can start to make those decisions, say, oh, yeah, I'm in operations. I started in rides, but this marketing thing, that sounds really cool. Like, and so now you can start to see there's different paths that you can take and, and different opportunities are out there. And again, just how big the industry is and how many opportunities there really are out there. For sure. I, so one of the things you said in there was a, a glimpse into the future of the industry. And there was a couple of years ago, I was at uh, uh, the session, how do IAPA Expo like an IAPA GoPro or something? There were a lot of hashtags in the in the title <laughs> of the session. Got all the young people in, you know, and, uh, and it was a panel and uh, it was being moderated by previous podcast guest, Jessie O'Daniel. And she, you know, set out, you know, to the room, she said, you are the future of the industry. And there was like kind of this like, like a big, like, I don't know, deep breath in by everybody <laughs> in the room of like, wow. And she's like, no, 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 I'm not trying to be like fluffy or like motivational, like literally like you're getting like, people are going to retire and then you're going to be going, coming to management and leadership. And like 20 years from now, like you people in this room, like, you know, you're, this is the future of the industry. That's just how time works. Right. <laughs> I, and, and so it's, so it's so critical then 
whether it's from an association standpoint or just uh, uh, you know macro industry initiatives of saying, okay, well, who's who's going to be running these parks and attractions, and and who's going to be you know running these these design firms or these marketing firms, whatever, in in 10, 20, 30, 40 years, and you know if we want to protect the uh, ongoing continuity and and the value of our industry, then it's so critical to be uh, whether it's investing in young professionals or uh, or providing providing guidance or things like you know what like what you've done with with Career Slam in the past, and then like you said, speaking to ambassadors. So uh, that is a long-winded transition into who our guest is today, Jerome Nipples. His firm, uh, he's the owner and managing director of JNELC. Uh, he helps parks and attractions um, buy rides and attractions, I should say. Uh, so he works with a number of manufacturers and suppliers. So we get to hear an insight into how his firm works, uh, many of the considerations with investing in new attractions in parks. Um, you know, he says, you know, we, we asked him as far as, uh, you know, how do you explain this to people outside the industry? What do you do? And he says, well, I, I sell roller coasters. That, that's That's the most straightforward way to put it. Makes perfect sense. So we get a, a glimpse into that. And then, uh, you know, he's been heavily involved in IAPA for for many years, for, uh, for decades, uh, actually, in terms of uh, his involvement with the Manufacturer and Suppliers Committee. He's been on the, he's currently on the board of directors. He's also previously been on the board as well. And uh, and also we talk about the young professionals initiatives, which he really uh, spearheaded. And we get to hear, uh, get to hear the origin story about all that. <laughs> Yeah, and it's really fascinating to hear how his experience and his vision then kind of blossomed into this support that I think we all feel for for young professionals. So you're right. It was really cool to hear that origin story. Also really cool to hear how he kind of operates his company. He he used the term um, relationship-based marketing. Um, a lot of times, you know, we talk about content marketing and, you know, traditional marketing. And this is really about literally building relationships and having clients for life. So uh, it's really cool to kind of peel back the onion on that a little bit. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I like to think what we do is like relationship-based marketing, but you're right. It's also content marketing. So a little, little, little blend of both there. Well, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, he, he's just uh, such a, a fascinating individual. And uh, this is just such a, such an energizing conversation. It's almost like going to IAPA. Kind of. It's, it felt like it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Which we hope to see him at, at, a, at an IAPA event soon. Uh, but until then, what do you say we get to this interview? Let's do it. And uh, like you said, it's like being at Niapa Expo, but without the sore feet. So <laughs> kick up your feet, relax, and let's get to this interview with Jerome Nipples. Hey, Jerome, welcome to the Attraction Pros podcast. We're so excited for our conversation today. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you. How about you? How are you guys doing? Doing great. Doing Excellent. great. Great. And uh, and really excited for this. I feel like we've got a, a nice wide ranging conversation and, and, and a lot of ground to cover here. But to uh, to kick this off, uh, tell us a little bit about your background and uh, tell us about what you do. Yeah. So I am the owner and managing director of a company called JNELC. And with that company, we represent various manufacturers and suppliers to the theme park industry. Uh, the main one of that being Zierer, which is a German ride manufacturer of traditional steel manufactured um, attractions, uh, family uh, roller coasters, wave swingers, stuff like that. And besides that, we represent also a company from Belgium called N-Wave Pictures. Um, they make 4D movies. 
Mobaro is a software company from Denmark that does operation and maintenance software, and HB Leisure, who operates skill games and redemption games inside the parks. And besides that, we do a bit of uh, consulting work in terms of project management that is usually linked to um, giant observation wheels. And uh, yeah, I'm in the industry for about um, all getting 20, 27 years now, uh, I would say, started, yeah, yeah, uh, 1996. First worked five years in Asia for a theme park development company that unfortunately no longer exists uh, these days. Then I moved to Luxembourg, um, back into Europe uh, to work for a trading company in amusement rides, both new and secondhand. And then about um, in 2005, I made myself independent and set up my own company, basically combining all that experience of project management, building parks, uh, buying and selling attractions uh, to make that available to my clients. With in, in, in first line are the suppliers, and then of course in the second line are the parks to whom we actually sell those products and services to. So I'm curious, what got you into the business in the first place? How did you get into that that organization where you were developing theme parks? I was very, very fortunate to know from a really early age that I always wanted to be in entertainment. And that started when I was 10 years old, when I played a professional theater with a theater company in the Netherlands for one season, or which turned out to be two seasons because it was, uh, the, the play was a success. And... Um, since then, I thought, okay, I'm always, I want to be an actor. That, that was my first concept when I was 10, 12 years old. And uh, that moved slowly to uh, more work behind the scenes, a technical production side of, of things. Then that evolved during my studies into events, um, organizing events, producing events, sponsoring of events. My first job was also in sponsoring events. And then one day I got this call from a, a co-student from my business university who had moved to Thailand, and he said, well, listen, I'm working for this big, huge conglomerate, Chinese, Thai group of companies where we have everything you can imagine. It went from hotel management, steel production, porcelain, banks, poultry, and theme parks. They, they had a, a division in their company that built indoor uh, themed, highly themed family entertainment centers, uh, 200,000 square uh, feet. Um, facilities in Bangkok and other parts of uh, Thailand. And they wanted to roll out, in, uh, we're talking about the mid-90s now, um, they wanted to roll that out in other parts of Southeast Asia and needed their international business development manager for that. And so my uh, student, uh, my co-student, uh, a friend of mine from university called me up and said, listen, they're looking for somebody with kind of like, you know, your profile and your interest in entertainment do you uh would you consider a job like that and then i thought a little bit about it and until so then i was more like events oriented and uh, and entertainment and a life entertainment so to speak and then i thought about it I said yeah well actually that is the you were talking here about the same dollar the same euro in, in people's wallets uh, when it comes to their leisure time and, and 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 they also need to be entertained in theme parks you know, let's give this a try for three months. You know, that was October 96, and here we are today. <laughs> Still in the industry, going strong. 
Oh, that's that's so fascinating. Uh, Jerome, when you were uh, sharing about what you do and, and what your company does, you're, you're wearing a lot of hats. There's a lot of a lot of different facets to the business. And I, you know, when when you talk about, uh, you know, Zero and N-Wave and HB Leisure, like, okay, like I can like I can put all those together. Uh, when you talk to people outside the industry, and if they say, what do you do? How do you, how do you explain it? Is it is it hard for people to understand? <laughs> well, it- when I come in, a, in, a, in an environment outside of our industry, uh, let's say a birthday party uh, of a friend of my wife or, or family or something like that, and, and who, who don't know me yet or no, no, don't know me that well, um, I, give, I give them always first the short answer, which is I sell roller coasters. And that usually gets the conversation going. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a showstopper in that sense. And uh, then uh, once, if the conversation and the environment allows, I would elaborate that I do a little bit more than that. And then that, that we represent various manufacturers and services uh, provided to the industry. But the bottom line is, the, the short answer I give the first time is I sell roller coasters, which is a big part of my day-to-day job, actually. So, yeah, why not? Yeah, that's awesome. I love how you use the, um, uh, the theater term. It was a showstopper. Right, (laughs) very much pulling from your acting background. Uh, One of the things I'm curious about when you say you know you sell roller coasters, there's obviously a lot of different types of roller coasters, a lot of different kind of considerations that a park would have or a facility would have when choosing a new attraction. You know, something to bring their guests in, and this can probably be you know a, a huge conversation. But just what are some of those considerations that a park has to? Um, think about when they're considering a new attraction, a new ride, a new roller coaster? Mm. Well, in order to answer that question well, I I should explain to you that the mission of my company is that we keep our customers for life. And we have a really, really long perspective when it comes to um, our sales activities. And it might sound odd coming from a sales guy, but we would like to give a park an honest advice of about which attraction we seem fitting into their portfolio, or if they're building a whole new park, which is a right mix. And sometimes that means that I'd have to tell them that particular product XYZ in our portfolio is not a right product for them. Even I would love to sell as many rides as I, as I can, but sometimes I, I, I have to say, listen, uh, your target audience is, is uh, let's say, uh, 6 to 12-year-olds, and this is a ride that, is, that starts at 14 years. I mean, that, that's an obvious one, but sometimes it's less obvious than that. And sometimes it, 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 it's not so clear to them that a particular attraction might not uh, fit the, the, the total mix very well, unless they have a very good reason because they want to change the target audience or they want to change um, marketing message or they want to they want to diversify in, in another direction then it makes sense but that that kind of honest conversation is is usually a starting point and saying okay this i think is good stuff for you guys and this maybe from our portfolio is probably not so useful uh for you guys so it's looking at it first of all at the bigger picture both in the terms of the relationship with the client as well as what product does that client offer to its customers? Um, and, and how do we fit in there? And on the other hand, it's also a lot about getting just the message out for us uh, about what kind of products we do make. Because we 
are known for a certain type of attractions, especially the wave swinger and family roller coasters. Those are the ones that that uh, you find the, the evergreens that everybody knows Zira for, for example. Um, but Zira makes a lot of other things too. So for us, it's also a matter of getting the message across which other rides do we have in our portfolio. Huh? We, we started to develop a dark rides. We, we built a dark ride in uh, on a track-based dark ride system in Heide Park in Germany um, called uh, based on the Ghostbusters uh, intellectual property. And yet uh, nobody knows that, that Zira has built that. So, you know, it's part of also like bringing this, this uh, out and about that uh, we have, we are more than just wave stringers and, and family roller coasters. Um, uh, and yeah, um, another uh, thing that we really look at is try um, is, is explaining what we understand about purchasing an attraction that this you that you're looking at a purchasing of an attraction as the investment over let's say a 10-year period it's not only that bottom line price that is written at our proposal that you have to look at it's it's about what am i spending year in year out in terms of direct maintenance costs that's spare parts uh this kind of stuff indirect in terms of how many hours are my guys working on an attraction and then it becomes even further indirect and and, and i guess george with your guest experience focus must know all about that what negative value does a closed down ride have in the overall package if you have a signature ride or or even a ride that people love and it's it's down for a week a month a, a whole season what negative how does that influence the um the guest experience and uh and can you and you should from my point of view can you attach a dollar value to that negative guest experience if you go down point three point three percentage points in in your guest experience can you put a dollar value to that in terms of turnover and if you look at all those things that is how you should approach the purchase of an attraction so is a ride often down or not? The, how's the reputation of the manufacturer? Uh, what's the what are the quality things? How is the support done with the with the manufacturer? Are they available twenty four seven? Do they have people all around the world uh, to service their attractions so that my downtime become is a minimum in case something happens and stuff like that. So that is um, that's an important message too that we that we want to discuss with uh, especially new clients um, and and make them aware of that. Existing clients, they know the drill by now, and they they they, they do it in that way, uh, and they do business with us that way because they found out that we come in that comparison relatively uh, favorable. Yeah, that's well, so fascinating because there's there's just so much that you know that goes into it. I mean, there's the there's the right fit for your your audience, but then you make you know a really good point of saying, is this going to be the right fit ten years from now? And and you talk about are are you changing your audience? So I, I've got to imagine when a, a client approaches you and says we want this, it probably opens up a, a lot of a lot of questions in terms of ensuring that it's the right fit and even going far beyond the actual the actual purchase itself. And uh, and I would say how how do you help your clients, you know, understand to say, well, okay, if this isn't a right fit for your audience right now, uh, but you are looking to to change the demographic of your park, does that does that go far beyond just the the conversation of I'm selling you a ride? We we just have this transaction to broker, but probably is is a much longer term strategy plan. 
Yeah, and the way we do that um, is by giving examples from the rest of the world, usually. That is, um, we, you know, we travel a lot. We, we go around a lot in the world. Uh, I, I see plenty of parks everywhere, probably more than the typical uh, amusement park owner or, or buyer of the rides because they are mainly uh, involved in their own business and have to be there most of the time and especially in the season. And we, by seeing so many examples, we see what works and what doesn't work. And there's usually for the particular situation that we are then discussing with a potential client about a specific attraction that could be added to their park, there is an example somewhere else in the world of somebody that has done it and be successful with it or that hasn't done it and was not successful or that uh, uh, did do it but wasn't successful. That we have to, and that's part of that honesty that I was talking about, that if we see somebody who tried something out, even if it was with our attraction, and it didn't do give the effect that they wanted, I would use that if I would think it makes sense in the context of the conversation I'm having with my client. And um, that that is the number one key thing to 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 look at that situation with the client in that kind of a discussion, I would say. I'm wondering if we can um, dive uh, more into your strategy of clients for life, um, because I love that. And I love how you talked about, you know, being honest with them and sometimes having to, you know, maybe pull back a little bit on what they're thinking. But, you know, even going a little deeper into that when you focus on, you know, literally having a client for life, that's a long time, right? And so it's yeah. about relationships and it's about, you know, you know, having an understanding. And I'm just curious if you can maybe walk us through a little bit of that strategy and how you've, uh, how you've been able to maintain that over the years. Yeah. Um, as you can imagine, with my company, JNELC, we don't manufacture ourselves. We are not a producer of the attractions or the services that we sell. As a result, we also do not have our own booth, for example, at the trade show, and we find it not really useful for us to make our own kind of advertising, as, at least when it comes to traditional advertising, let's say ads in magazines or stuff like that. So those manufacturers that we represent, they have their booths and they have their advertising. You see them in the magazines, they, they, they're everywhere. So they are promoting their, their products and services. What we do is we go to the events and because of our uh, geographic focus in Europe and in Southeast Asia, um, we focus mainly then on the IAPA Expo Europe or, and the IAPA Expo in Asia. And we organize our own big networking event surrounding that. So in Asia, for example, on the evening before the show, we organize a, quite a, a large reception where we invite um, well over 100 people, typically our clients, our partners, and, and, and things like that. And in Europe, we do it on a slightly smaller scale with a sit-down dinner where we invite those clients that have bought from us in the past year or that are in the process of buying something for the upcoming year, and we maintain those relationships. So it's heavily focused around networking and, and entertaining our clients and, and showing our appreciation um for for what we do uh, we 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 are a small company we are three in total uh one person sits in singapore running the southeast asia business i have one support person here in europe and 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 then me so, so it's not big and nevertheless we produce every year for example a newspaper uh, that we distribute at an event that we would sponsor a ta event iapa event whatever is the occasion 
And in there, we write articles about all those kind of projects that we do and, and, about, and about our, we give our partners uh, some free space in there to put an advertisement, to put an article, to put an article and to show all that. So it's, it's a lot about, let's say, the soft relationship with the client and, and, and not going every year, knocking on all the doors and uh, dropping my bro new brochure and a price list and hoping that they will uh, take one, one or two boxes and that's how it goes. No, it's, it's about um, being with them also when it's not about selling a ride. It's, it's like um, you know, visiting them and just asking how things are going with the existing stuff without anything. Even if I know that a park has already announced in the newspaper or in, in, in fan uh, publications, this and this roller coaster coming in there, this and this uh, teenager ride or whatever it's going to be, knowing that uh, they won't be buying for the next one or two years anything new, still going there and then visiting them, talking about them. How is how are how are the zero guys doing? How is your experience with HB Leisure and the games? How are they running the games, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And um, I think that is the key in that uh, besides the, the, what i mentioned honesty and 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 um, and giving you know good advice uh, to the client advice that is useful and and sometimes helping them also with stuff that we don't have a direct sales or commercial interest uh, in if they're saying you know do you know anything about this and this supplier can you bring me in contact with them or 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 stuff like that um we work with park groups in europe that are sometimes on an aggressive takeover path and then they just call me every now and then and say listen have you heard uh, anything about this in this park or do you know anything that's for sale that might be of interest for us you know stuff like that and and and, and i'm not commercializing that part of the advice because i know that if i stayed on top of mind with these people and then when they do need a new roller coaster or a new wave swing or a new other attraction that they will call me and and um and uh, ask for those kind of things so the relationship-based marketing that you talk about can be can be so effective. And you talk about that being a, a very long-term strategy, even if they might not be a, a prospective client for one year, two years, or even further down the road, uh, planting those seeds uh, that, that you know have the opportunity to, to grow over time. Yes. I, I always call that we are very, very, very patient. We have ideas that have been planted maybe uh, even as long as 10 years ago. And that at some day come to fruition, and 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 that's when we'll 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 take the 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 win and, and move on to the next project. And and until then, we stay patient. We know that people are going to do stuff. Sometimes they don't know it themselves yet, but we know they will do it in two, three, four, five years from now. And we just need to make sure that we are around by that time to uh, to fulfill their dreams and wishes. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I'd love to actually transition that because you talked about kind of the way that uh, um, uh, the way that you work at, at the IAPA Expos and holding the receptions and things like that. Uh, you're also the chair of the Manufacturer and Suppliers Committee for IAPA. So in addition to this relationship-based marketing that you're doing for your own firm, you're also working with other suppliers in the industry uh, to help bolster their success as well. So can you talk about your, your involvement uh, with IAPA too? Yeah, it, it's it's part of um, what I call also, and what many people call giving back to the industry that, that that gives us so much. It's it's something that I feel almost a need to do uh, and to volunteer my time for IAPA in order to uh, progress the industry. Of course, it's fabulous also for networking. No matter what you do, it's it's great for for networking. 
I've been an active volunteer for IAPA since 2002. So that's now more than 20 years that I've spent on committees, boards, whatever, uh, all, all different kinds of things over the years. And uh, now, since the beginning of this year, then chairing the Global Manufacturing and Supplier Committee was a, a big ambition of mine uh, to chair uh, a worldwide committee for uh, IAPA. And now that comes together then with a seat on the board of directors. Um, so that will be now my second term. I've been on the board in 2007 to 2009 and coming back now there. And yeah, trying to make the industry more professional, uh, better recognized, uh, a, a, a fair marketplace for everyone. Um, yeah. I love it in that our industry is so friendly uh, uh, towards uh, the competition. Of course, yeah, we are fighting for a roller coaster job left or right, and uh, we're sometimes competing. But we are, in the end of the day, all friends. And one great example just happened last uh, Friday um, uh, when I decided to go and try out the new restaurant experience in Europa Park. I don't know if you guys heard about it, but there is this thing called Etrinaline. And it's just out of this world it's amazing it's it's it, it, words are not enough to describe all that even pictures don't do it justice um and 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 you know that's a development where uh one of my direct competitors the mark rice factory in in in, in germany uh, has been heavily involved in i had a meeting with these guys before that just mainly about iapa uh stuff uh and then they heard that i was going to do that thing and they said oh we'd love to hear your feedback and I love the way how the industry can work together um, and, and is, is, is friendly rather than competitive uh, when it comes to, to these kind of things that are, that are just great and, and just need, and deserve the recognition to, to be great. Eh? These guys build now these this floating chairs that are part of this, the essential part of that whole eating experience in, in, uh, next to Europa Park, basically. And it's, it's amazing. And why shouldn't they deserve the recognition, even if I, on another occasion, might be a competitor of them? Um, and that's how I feel also about the work in the committee, where we can bring all those people together, where we can make sure that the the attractions industry gets great opportunities to mingle, uh, where operators can mix with suppliers and, and, and work all together for a great industry. I love what you said there about that that need to kind of give back because I feel that too. I think Josh feels that. So um, I think that's something that's definitely common among at least the three of us. And I know a lot of other people that get a lot of um, uh, reward, internal reward from, from volunteering with IAPA. Um, I wonder if we could talk about that global committee with the manufacturers and suppliers because you know, whenever you talk about something global, you have a lot of different interests. And yes, we're all, you know, friends and we want to be friendly and that kind of thing. Um, but I would imagine there's some different, and maybe I'm wrong, but please correct me. There's some different challenges as you get to different parts of the world, or are people kind of seeing similar challenges that you're you're working through kind of around the globe? Well, that's, that's a very, very um, relevant question, especially right now within IAPA. As you might know or might not know, and as, I don't know if the, uh, many of the, the viewers or listeners to the podcast will know, but IAPA used to have a lot of global committees for a lot of things all over the world. And we are in a process with IAPA to actually change that and to make all those committees, wherever they are needed and wherever they are relevant, make them regional committees rather than global committees. One of the basic, basically the tasks or one of the goals that I've put 
uh, for myself uh, in chairing the MNS committee for the next uh, three years it will be, is that I probably would be the last chair of the global MNS committee because we're going to move all that to the regional levels. Mm. You know, we're going to have a, uh, we, we already have manufacturer and supplier committees in all the regions. We don't really need another committee on top of that, uh, digesting all that information once again. A, because it's made a lot of the, it makes a lot of the work kind of like redundant or, 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 or double, basically. We're doing a lot of things double that don't really need to be done double. And B, exactly as what, because of what you said. It's because of there are so, some things are so regionally different that it, it almost it doesn't make sense to talk about it on a global level because we're all on different speeds, on different levels in, in that sense. Take another topic like sustainability. Sustainability means a hell of a lot of different things to people in different countries, uh, especially in you know this decade, I would say. Uh, some countries in Europe are very much advanced. Some countries are still a little bit behind. In, in Asia, uh, sustainability has, again, another complete different meaning. In, in North America, they look at things differently right now. And yeah, maybe we... We should focus our energy and the time of all the volunteers that are willing to give back to IAPA more on coordinating that on a regional level and only, let's say, uh, bring the chairs of those committees together uh, uh, in an informal information exchange to make sure that we're, that we're not reinventing the wheel twice. Uh, if, if we do something already great in Europe, uh, let's bring it to America or vice versa. Or if some, somebody comes up with a great idea in Asia, that would work very well also in Latin America. Let's make sure that that connection is there, but it doesn't necessarily require a global committee for that. Mm -hmm. So there, there, we are exactly in that process of regionalizing and, and doing things on a regional level there where possible and, um, and, and share the experience where needed. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, one of the things too that uh, would love to talk about in you know as it relates to involvement with IAPA and something that's that's near and dear to my heart is uh the young professional constituency and uh that you mentioned that you you founded that and that you were able to really bring that to life and uh, would love to know I would say the the origin story of uh just how IAPA's young professional constituency came to be yeah well that is actually a great story to 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 tell you um, back in 2005, 2006, I was visiting one of the oldest parks in the world, and that is Tivoli Gardens in Copenhagen. And there was a young guy at the time who was, uh, at, he was, I believe, the second person in command, so COO level, basically, of the park. And some of you might have heard his name before. His name is Andreas Anderson. <laughs> And this person who later on became to do great things, became chair of IAPA and, and, and so much involved in IAPA, I was having dinner with him in the park and he told me that he's be, he had been now like four, five, six years to the IAPA shows in around the world, especially in Orlando, and he found it impenetrable. He found it very hard to walk into a room, seeing all those big leaders of all those big name parks around the world and start up a conversation. He felt that it was very difficult to approach them. And I said, yeah, especially if you're from the operator side, if you're not having to sell something on that, on that thing, if you're just there to 
to network, to, to share experiences, it can probably be very overwhelming to walk into these rooms, even if you are from a big name park like Tivoli Gardens. And that triggered with me a reaction that I said, listen, we have to do something. We have to create a group for those young people that, be, that will get some recognition from IAPA in one form or another uh, and that get a chance to mingle with those what are considered big shots, uh, you know, the board of director members, the, the bosses of the big Disney parks, Universal parks all around the world, Six Flags, you name them, and, and to, to create that kind of interaction. So in the beginning, so I came with that idea came to Ayapa, it took me a little while to convince them. And ultimately, I think in 2008, we held our first uh, network reception. I think it was, gosh, uh, it must have been earlier because it was still Atlanta. I think Atlanta must have been 2006, the last time that we were. Uh, it was a bar in Atlanta. Um, um, Bob Masterson, at that time, CEO of, of Ripley's, uh, saw immediately the potential in there and said, "Listen, whatever you do, I'll 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 uh, I'll sponsor the bar tab tonight, and 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 I will come along and I will make myself available." So we had a reception for gosh, probably 15, 20 young professionals uh, and a couple of board members that 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 find that idea inspiring. From there, we saw, "Hey, this is great. Let's move forward with that." And then we started to build that up, and we created the network events, and then the young professional committee came, which I believe. You, Josh, was, were part of for some some years, mm -hmm. and um, and then we created workshops and, and 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 other networking events during the 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 expos, online stuff, everything in order to bring that group in there. And now we're evolving that and seeing how we can bring that to the next level with IAPA. And I'm sure that some great ideas are going to come out. Me, I've now pulled out of the active running of, of young professionals. First of all, I'm way too old by now. And secondly, uh, I just want to give the young people of today the opportunity to make sure that they are creating what is needed for them. I should not be the one, nor anybody else who is so long in the industry already, should be the one who decide what is necessary for this group of people. They should indicate what they want and what they need. It needs to be demand-driven, not service push, uh, as I would call it, um, for, to create the kind of events, interactions, and, and activities that this group is looking for. So from that standpoint, obviously, um, you know, there's a lot of, lot of young professionals that are trying to get into the industry, that want to get into the industry, that are pursuing, you know, a great career uh, like you've had. What advice do you give young professionals if they were to say, what do I need to do to be successful? What, what advice do you give them? Well, that it's twofold. The first advice is to the actual young professionals themselves. And that is ask questions and ask people for help, for uh, con contact, for sharing an experience, for reaching out. Uh, never be afraid to ask anything from anyone that you come across. And, and, and there's plenty of great programs. The ambassador program with IAPA is a great uh, way to meet lots and lots of people during an expo, but it's asking questions. But my, the second part of my advice is actually to ourselves, to the, the senior people, the, the experienced people. And that is, if you are being approached by young people, give them everything you know give them you know your connections your network and a lot of, i know a lot of people are doing that already and young people who do ask 
for the right questions or or any questions. Uh, there's no wrong questions. There's only wrong answers in the, in that sense. Um, the, many people are already doing this, recognizing that we need to be there for the next generation of industry leaders, frontliners, any level, uh, mid middle level managers everywhere. Um, and, and, and I would only strongly encourage that to that part of the industry. But the most important thing for the young people themselves is ask questions and reach out to people. And yes, you're going to hear, every, if you're, you, not, not everybody can give you an internship at any point in time. Not everybody can give you a job at every point in time. And I think people understand that. But don't be afraid to ask. If it's not the company you ask, maybe they know somebody else that is looking for somebody uh, that can do uh, an internship so that you can bring other people together and, and, and do it like that. But approach people and, and, and walk into uh, a reception, um, go to those networking events at IAPA. Don't stick together with those people that you know. Go out of your comfort zone. Go into an, a reception that you've never been to and, and look around, see what badges people are wearing and, 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 and ask a question uh, to a person that you think can be of, of, of help to your career. Uh, phenomenal advice. And, uh, you know, I, I just have to say, and, uh, you know, we talked about it a little before I'm starting to record of just how much I personally have benefited from all of these initiatives over the years. So first of all, thank you for, you know, for really kicking all of that off. And, and I mean that just so genuinely, uh, you talked about the, the early days of, of the young professional reception at the IAPA expo. Uh, my first year was 2007. So probably the, the year, yeah, it was the year after when it was most recently in Atlanta and I was a show ambassador and, you know, we had the opportunity to go to the reception. Um, you mentioned Bob Masterson picking up the bar tab. I met Bob at, you know, at that reception in, in 2007, uh, still have his business card. Um, yeah. But it also, you know, offers a lifetime executive family pass to every Ripley's, believe it or not, in the world. So I was like, I'm going to keep this. It's a little faded. It's a little, you know, a little worn out now. But, you know, I, I still have it. And I, I remember that, you know, that interaction. Uh, and even that same year, uh, looking at the education programs put together for young professionals, um, even as an ambassador, we had the opportunity to go to certain sessions just throughout the week. So I went to this one called Career Slam and found it to be incredibly beneficial. Matt, that's pretty sure that's where you and I met right there. So, uh, you know, that all, you know, traces back, you know, directly to that. Um, so, yeah, so, I, you know, all, all the things you're saying right here, I've, I've felt the direct positive impact. Uh, you talk about asking questions. I want to, I want to come back to that as well. Uh, there was another year at the young professionals reception where, um, like, like you mentioned, it's important for the, the senior leaders to, to get involved. And, you know, I, I loved going to the YP reception and seeing people who were not young professionals who were there wanting to meet us. Right. And so now I'm at the point where I'm sort of straddling the line between young professional and no longer young professional. And, you know, I, I hope that I can continue now being on, on the other side of that. There was a, an HR manager who was there. We struck up a conversation and I, I asked directly, I said, are you hiring? And, you know, she said, I'm, I'm not, but I will be soon. And she reached out to me, you know, a few weeks later, I went and, and interviewed and that turned directly into, you know, something that, that catapulted my career. Um, aside from simply the question of which, now, retrospectively, very direct, very forward. Are you hiring? Uh, what are some other 
better questions or, or ways to really, I would say, plant those seeds that that can help really tie into actually the the things that we were talking about earlier of that that relationship based marketing, but doing that for yourself, networking as a young professional. Well, one of my favorite questions there is what uh, that a young person should ask an experienced person is what is the single most important thing that you would have liked to known when you started your career that you've only learned after 10 or 20 years or maybe even longer in your career but that you really would have loved to know at the beginning of your career what is that single aspect of uh, of your your career that um, that you can give as a piece of advice to me at the start of my career as a, as a, as a young as a young person that's one of my favorites but also um to really create goals uh for yourself you should as 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 a young person have an ambition have an idea of in in your wildest dream which job do you want to have in 10 20 15 20 years and by having that kind of a goal, make also the right decisions about what things you do and what things you pass on in during your career um, and, and, and what you should uh, go for, what, which conference you want to attend, which, which uh, workshops you want to listen to, which are the things that really will advance you towards that goal. Because without that goal, you're kind of like running around and doing everything as much as you can. And maybe you will learn also by doing where it is you want to end up or you're just going to be at the right point at the right time, uh, kind of a thingy for your career. Um, but having a goal in life and being able to check whatever you're going to do, whatever your next career move is, whatever job opportunity you ask with it, you accept within your company or, or moving uh, to another company, what, what education you follow, what courses you follow, if you can have that goal to match that with and see, will this bring me closer to that goal? Yes or no. will give you so much more guidance to yourself while developing your career as a, as a young person. I really appreciate what you say there about having a goal. Um, at one point, my goal, I guess it's still my goal is to go as far as I possibly can in the attractions industry, right? Which is kind of open, but it also gives me a direction as far as how I want to, um, you know, how I want to spend my days and what I want to be doing. Um, and so one of the things I think is really cool, what you also said there was what to pass on, right? What opportunities to take but what to pass on. So with my goal of wanting to be, you know, go as far as I can in the attractions industry, I know that there's certain things that I'm not going to do. Right. And I think that's just as important as, as the things you do do. Um, at the same time, I think there's opportunities where you can learn things where you didn't necessarily expect to learn them. So, you know, having a goal, but also kind of going a little bit outside those lines can be helpful uh, at times as well. Thinking outside of the box is, is, is also a very important character trait, especially in our industry, uh, no matter where it comes to, is it developing a new attraction or looking at your career? Absolutely, I agree with that, Matt. It's, uh, it's, uh, sometimes you do have to think outside of the box in order to progress or in order to figure out what you don't want sometimes. Yes. No, that, that can help you also in, in that, that aspect. So certainly also should not be afraid to try out things as well. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, Jerome, we're uh, starting to reach close to the the end of this interview here. This has just been a, a fantastic conversation. But uh, a question that I would love to ask you is, 
what is the single most important thing that you would have liked to have known at the beginning of your career? The importance of networking. It's it's something that kind of like subconsciously was already given to me during my business university um, times when I was studying uh, my business administration courses. But I, it took me too long to get actively involved in that at the start of my career. And to, to a certain extent, that also sometimes has to do with, for a lot of people, with their employers. Do the employers allow you to go to a IAPA trade show as a young person in just starting in the industry? And that's one piece of advice I would also like to give to some employers um, to whom that applies. Don't be afraid that if you send your young people that they're all going to be stolen away by your competitor, by the parks. Your staff, you, you will see how your staff is appreciating the fact that you're going to get that opportunity and which will, in most cases, translate into a loyalty towards the company rather than jumping from one employer to the other. And I think that is, that is really important for those employers to realize that they should give their you know, promising people, some frontliners, some some middle management, the chances to go to these events and network. And and those employees, those employers that do, you see them benefiting from this. Uh, and and uh, don't be, uh, as an employer, don't be scared to lose your employees. If, if somebody's going to make a change, they're going to make it anyway, with or without the networking opportunity at mm -hmm. some point in time. It's better to show them the dedication you have towards them by letting them go to this kind of events, letting them share experiences with their peers and uh, building up their network within the industry, because that's going to benefit you as a company as well. I think it also helps people build their passion, right? Or maybe realize it more when you get to see the larger industry outside of your facility. I know that's what happened for me. As soon as I went to IAPA and I walked onto that trade show floor and I saw, wow, this this is right. You know, this is something exciting or going to the sessions and, and you know, interacting with and talking to people from other organizations, really feeling how, how big the industry is and how much, you know, opportunity there was not just you know maybe going to another company but even with your within your own company applying all those ideas back to your organization i thought was really really inspiring absolutely yeah finding peers that have already tackled similar issues that you are just about to tackle and hear how they solved it is 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 invaluable yep. uh, in, in especially early on in your career when you don't have your own experience to build on yet absolutely yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, Jerome, as we start to uh, wind this down here, if people want to learn more about JNELC or if they want to uh, get a hold of you directly, where would you send them? First of all, come and see me at any of the IAPA events. I mean, that's 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 the biggest thing. Come, approach me. I'm there. Most of, I mean, not not IAPA is organizing so many regional events now. I can't be everywhere, especially not in North America. Um, but come and see us. Uh, that, that's that's the most important thing. Uh, and secondly, we have a website, uh, www.jnelc.com. I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me there, Jerome Naples. Uh, and um, yeah, send me an email at uh, info at jnelc.com. It comes in my email box. We don't have a, a whole organization that deals with all the emails. So that that's, that's absolutely fine uh, to contact me, ask me questions and uh, see guidance. 
Well, Jerome, I certainly look forward to uh, seeing you at, a, at an upcoming event. Uh, I can't wait to uh, to be able to meet you in person finally. Um, but for um, for the time that you've spent with us, I just want to thank you and um, and let you know how much we've appreciated your your time and all your, your insight. And for everybody who's out there watching and listening, just remember, we are all Attraction Pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.